Welcome to the Herbs with Rosalie podcast, a show exploring how herbs heal as medicine, as food, and through nature connection. I'm your host, Rosalie de la Forêt. I'm an herbalist teacher and the best-selling author of the books Alchemy of Herbs and Wild Remedies. I created this podcast to share trusted herbal wisdom so that you can get the best results when relying on herbs for your health. I love offering up practical knowledge to help you dive deeper into the world of medicinal plants and seasonal living. My goal is that you'll walk away from each episode feeling inspired to start working with herbs in your everyday life. Each episode of the podcast is available on my Herbs with Rosalie YouTube channel, as well as your favorite podcast app. Transcripts and recipes for each episode can be found at herbswithrosaliepodcast.com. To get the latest news as well as fun bonuses, be sure to sign up for my weekly herbal newsletter. Okay, grab your cup of tea. Let's dive in. I've been following Val Alcorn for several years now and have been continually impressed and inspired by her connection to the land she lives on and the seasons. I'm especially thrilled that she's a guest on the show because she's sharing about a little known herb, which is always exciting. For those of you who don't know Val, she's an herbalist, herb farmer, writer, and artist living in Anishinaabe land, which is now Michigan. Her goal is to connect people with the stories and the medicine of the plants so that we may heal body and spirit with curiosity and reciprocity. She crafts a variety of herbal tools and goods with a focus on herbal bitters and runs a brick and mortar store in Gladwin, Michigan. Welcome to the show, Val. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm totally just thrilled to have you here because I've been following you for so long on Instagram and that's been fun. Actually, I'm going to leave all of the ways I've been following you. I think it'll just naturally come through the conversation, but yeah, I'm really excited to have you here. We've never met, so this is our our first time. Yeah, and likewise, I mean, huge fan of you. I carry your books in my shop, my brick and mortar shop too, and those have been indispensable for, you know, helping people you know, starting to work with herbalism and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, this is a huge honor. Oh, well, thanks. I know very little about you when it comes to your origin story and your plant path. So I'm excited to hear what got you into the world of herbs. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's definitely been a long journey. I mean, I know some people, you know, are born with this just feeling they know exactly what they're supposed to be doing in life. This is what I want to do. Even as kids, they have that desire. And that wasn't really how it was for me. You know, I've always had a very strong connection to the land. I grew up camping, swimming in the lakes, the rivers. I'm here in Michigan on Anishinaabe land. And so we're just brimming with forests and and lakes and rivers and water and all of those wonderful natural resources. So I always felt a really strong connection there. But growing up in the Midwest, you know, working with plants as a career was never really on my radar. I didn't know that was even an option for me. So I actually kind of ventured toward my other passion, which is art and creativity. So I actually went to college for digital media. I started working at a large advertising company. And within like two months of graduating college and working there, I knew that this was wrong. Like this was Hmm. wrong, wrong, wrong. It did not feel good. It did not feel right. And so also I was dealing with some health issues at the same time too. So it just felt really heavy. And sometimes I feel like when you're in such a 
heavy space and you can't find a way out, really the only way to get out of that is to physically leave your environment and just do something completely new. So my husband, my now husband and I actually sold everything we had and moved out to Colorado with just two cars and two cats and they were not happy about it. But uh, we, yeah, moved to Colorado and I kind of just did random jobs to see, you know, where I fit in, where I belong. And of course, Colorado is just amazing. It's beautiful. It's brimming with, you know, the holistic wellness industry too. So that's kind of, I started getting into that. And meanwhile, though, I was still dealing with all sorts of health issues. So finally, a coworker of mine told me to, hey, go see a naturopath, see you know, where that leads you. And that changed my life because I had seen so many traditional conventional doctors that didn't give me really any hope at all. And this naturopath sat down with me for 90 minutes in our first meeting, just going over everything. And I finally felt seen. And then also the next meeting, he found out exactly what was going on with me. And he was able to help with herbs and with diet. And yeah, it changed my life. So I knew from then on that this is what I had to do for the rest of my life is, you know, work with the plants and help people connect to plants. And so, you know, I knew also that back in Michigan, we really don't have that many resources for stuff like that, like you do on the East Coast or the West Coast or Colorado, those sorts of areas. So we moved back here and brought some of that with us. And we started my husband and I, mostly me, but he's definitely a backbone. He helps me with everything started my own brick and mortar here as well as an online shop and yeah been doing that ever since hmm well that definitely fills in some blanks for me like how your bitters packaging is so mm -hmm. it's so original and just like it just pops it is such Thank a you. cool like overall feeling so background in digital media i'm guessing that that helped with that yeah I'm for curious, sure. how did you choose Colorado? Did that, was that like closure eyes point on the map or how did that come about? There, you know, there are some things in life that I look back and I'm like, how did that even happen? Or how did that start? And I really can't give you a good <laughs> reason mm -hmm. to why I knew. I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. We both wanted somewhere just completely different and it was either you know, Tennessee or somewhere out West, but we really honed in on Colorado for one reason or the other. And my husband actually ended up finding a job out there first. So that's, we just went with it. And obviously, you know, we were young at the time. I was just out of college. We didn't have a lot of ties. So it was much easier to just sort of uproot and leave everything behind and, and start new. And sometimes you just need that new start. And Colorado was the absolute perfect place for that. And it still holds a really, really special place in my heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we were talking before we went live here about how much I hate humidity. So as someone who detests humidity on all levels, I highly approve of the yeah. high desert and dry. Yeah, weird. And I love New Mexico too, like Santa Fe, Taos, and just that whole area are also some of my favorites, which is so random since now I live in like the forests and, you know, the most humid climate ever. I love that sort of environment too. It was so crazy just leaving the door open at night and not having to worry about like mosquitoes or bugs coming in. <laughs> it was a wild experience. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm really excited for the plant that you chose today, ground ivy. It's a plant I don't know much about beyond just the like quick basics that you'll see mentioned here and here, but I did look through some books. So I thought, oh, well, maybe I'll just like learn a few things so I don't look totally ignorant <laughs> while interviewing Val. 
there's really not a lot out there besides like a couple commonly quoted things. So I'm really excited to hear what you have to share about ground ivy and we can start wherever you want. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I really wanted to talk about this plant in particular, not only because it is a little obscure, which I'm always interested in, but also because it's been really useful for me and my practice, especially this year too. So yeah, ground ivy actually is a pretty invasive plant here in North America. It kind of just creates this really thick carpet in sunny and also shaded areas. So you can find it in the woods and semi-shaded areas and fields as well. And it just kind of does its thing. It's in the mint family. So it does spread by those runners as well. What's interesting about ground ivy though, is it doesn't have that very aromatic smell like most mint family plants. It's kind of like self-heal where it does have those volatile oils. So you can definitely tell that they're still part of the same family, but and it's not like grassy like you would a different herb. You can definitely tell they have those volatile oils, but it's not super aromatic like peppermint or lemon balm, things like that. And I really love ground ivy here because I actually live in the forest, so it's super easy to grow in the woods. It's a great ground cover as long as you can sort of corral it into a specific area too. It's also an edible plant as well. So you can, you know, when it flowers, you can use the leaves and the flowers for spring salads with like garlic mustard or violet leaves or whatever. So it's super tasty. It's full of nutritious value as well. So that's really fun. But medicinally, what I really love about it is its action as a sort of upper respiratory herb. It's very hot. I won't say very hot. It's generally hot, drying. It's also bitter as well. And that's more useful for the digestive issues. But for the upper respiratory system, this is great for sort of those stagnant fluid issues here where you get those sinus headaches that just feels like you have like a wet washcloth sort of tied around your head and there's just all that pressure. Earaches as well. Some people who have tinnitus where it's caused by sort of that stagnant fluid in the ear have found great relief from that. Also just sinus infections in general, like it has been, it's so wonderful to drain sort of those lymphatic channels as well as, you know, reduce inflammation. It's a natural antihistamine, which is great for allergies as well. People who have come into my shop who have never used herbs before, who are, you know, are already a little like iffy about it in general, started taking this tincture. And this is part of the upper respiratory tincture that I know you'll share later, later maybe we'll talk about it, but they're amazed because it starts working within the first day and mm. you take it multiple times throughout the first day and it just immediately starts draining, starts helping sort of that really tense, wet, stagnant state in the upper respiratory system. Yeah. And I'm really just interested in these sort of plants because I feel like everybody's so excited about you know, the exotic plants, the adaptogens, like sort of those buzzword herbs. But sometimes I feel like the most common plants are sometimes the most powerful at times too. And especially invasive plants, like why not use those more? So I feel like it's a win-win for, you know, using that in herbal practice as well. Plus, you know, I'm always drawn to herbs that are part of my ancestry in Polish and German as well. And, and so that's been used you know, since the middle ages, much more than nowadays. So yeah, that's a general overview, but yeah, I love ground ivy. 
And will you share the botanical name just for clarification? Yeah, it's a uh, glaucoma heteraceae, I believe. And that, like I mentioned, is part of the mint family. There are some lookalikes. There's henbit and purple dead nettle as well. Those don't spread by runners, so it's a little bit easier to tell ground ivy apart. And there's actually a name from the Middle Ages. It's called crown of the earth because it kind of just like crowns from the ground and kind of spikes hmm. up like in a little spray of, you know, purple and sort of those heart-shaped lobed leaves as well. So it's just, it's a beautiful plant. It does have purple trumpet-like flowers like henbit and uh, purple dead nettle as well. But yeah, definitely those runners make it a little bit easier to tell, at least for me. Mm-hmm. That's a good tip. Yeah. When do you see it starting to pop up where you live? Yeah, here in Michigan, we are, at least where I'm at in Michigan, is about 5A hardiness zone. So it does take till about May, even June to start flowering. But yeah, it will pop up in late spring, at least at least where I am. And do you have ideal harvest times for it or do you harvest anytime you see it? Yeah, I mean, most herbalists who do work with ground ivy prefer to use it fresh. So especially in the spring when it's nice and vibrant, when as soon as it starts flowering is usually when I use it. But I have also harvested it like late summer when I'm in a pinch and need a little bit extra as well. And I found it to work just as well. And it gets a little leggy, but I do find that it's still very potent to use at either time. And I did dry some this year. I haven't tried to use it yet in a dried form, but I think that should work too. But if I had to prefer, I would definitely go with the the fresh herb. As And then prepared as a fresh, fresh plant tincture specifically? Yes, I do use it as, as a fresh plant tincture. In some medieval texts, they will use it as sort of a topical infusion. And they used to actually put it on the head for sinus issues. They actually used to say that ground ivy got rid of bad humors in the head, sort of those colic humors as well. And it's actually really interesting. There was one specific preparation where they would combine ground ivy, celandine, and daisy, as well as sugar and rose water all together, apply it to the eyes with a feather. And that was was supposed to cure pretty much any eye issue, like webbing, pain, even blindness. Of course, I, I cannot attest for any of these, but I just find it very interesting. Again, that's just all in that sort of upper respiratory head region that it's really great for. They do also have instances of using it as an infusion for urinary issues as well, because it is also a diuretic. So using lymphatics and diuretics for urinary issues, always great. And because it is bitter, like I did mention, some people will use it for a sort of a digestive herb and probably combine it with some other herbs as well to stimulate that sort of digestive flow. It's supposed to strengthen kidneys as well. So people with like back pains and stuff, you know, they've used it for that too. But definitely the main thing I use it for is definitely the head region. Hmm. Well, I love all the possibility there, like you said, with an invasive plant that just grows everywhere. And yeah, just the potential of being able to start working with this plant more and more and bringing so many of its gifts to life that we might have to refine that might have been lost over over time. Yeah, it's potent. It's very, you can definitely tell as soon as you make that fresh plant tincture, you can tell this is strong medicine. And I think we need to look more into stuff like that. There haven't been a lot of studies into the actual 
like scientific composition, com chemical composition of the plant, but we do know it has the volatile oils. It has triterpene, triterpenes and phenolic acids as well. And so those are maybe some starting points to where we can sort of determine more how we can use it as well. I think probably the best way we can see how people have used it in the past as more medieval texts, of course, with a grain of salt, and then kind of just seeing where curiosity takes us and, and go from there as well. I also think it's just really fun to think about, you know, applying herbs in different ways, like with feathers and, you know, all those sort of things. So all those medieval te texts are super interesting. I think who's that herbalist? She was a, a mystic and an herbalist, Hildegard Van Binion. Uh, Yes. And she actually wrote about ground ivy as well. And she talked about using it as an herb to help with obstructions of the liver and the spleen as well. So there's definitely a lot of big herbalists in that time that have talked about ground ivy. It's just a matter of sort of digging it up a little bit too. And of course, experimenting, because as far as I've seen, I haven't really come across any contraindications for ground ivy. So I feel like it's a pretty safe herb at, at this point to work with. I have heard that like cattle or livestock, it can be slightly toxic to them. So I, mm -hmm. I, you know, if you do have domestic animals or livestock, just keep it away from them just to be safe. But for humans, it seems to be, you know, pretty, pretty safe from, from what I've seen. Hmm. Yeah. In the wondering realm, it makes me think about, because it's same plant family as self-heal and kind of how you mentioned mm -hmm. self-heal and ground ivy have volatile oils in them, even though they're not super aromatic, self-heal historically was used a lot as a hydrosol and mm. just really, you know, was really applauded for that. So I wonder the ground ivy hydrosol, what that might be like. Yeah, I, I did read somewhere where they tried a distillation, and this was again, like back in the 1600s, a distillation mm -hmm. of the ground ivy, but didn't it didn't really elaborate as to if it worked, if it didn't work, like how it worked out, but I would imagine, you know, you, you can make hydrosols out of pretty much most mint family plants. So that would be really interesting to try out. Yeah. Well, I'd, I would love to talk more about the tincture recipe that you've shared with us and yeah. plants that are in there and just anything else you'd like to share about that. Yeah, absolutely. So this is a super simple, but very, very effective tincture. And like I mentioned, I have been, you know, just I can't keep it in stock on my shelves here at our brick and mortar store. And we are in a small rural town. Like people are very skeptical about herbs and things like that here. So if people like that, you know, are, you know, and I love them so much. I love this community. I really do. But if they're into this, like you're golden. So <laughs> it is a ground ivy, fresh ground ivy. It's also two parts ground ivy, two parts mullen and one part barberry. And I really love ground ivy as one of the main components of this sort of blend, again, to help drain as a natural antihistamine and just sort of dry up that with that, those hot, dry actions, dry up any sort of stagnant fluid in that area. I do like to add some mullein as an anti-inflammatory, just so that it, you know, the hot dryness doesn't sort of become overpowering in the blend as well. And of course, mullein, another really safe, very common plant that you can use. And most people know for any respiratory issue as well. But I find that to be just a really 
sort of great balancing plant to, gro to ground ivy. And I do add one part of barberry as well. And I do have to say, maybe I use too much barberry, but I put it in like so many of my tinctures. It's ridiculous. I'm obsessed with it, especially any tinctures where sort of the immune system needs a little boost as well. And I like to add it into that blend specifically if there is any sinus infection or anything present because barberry is specifically indicated for the upper respiratory system, or at least one of the areas that it's specifically indicated for. So it has berberine, which is sort of like that natural antiviral, antibacterial compound. And it's really great against antibiotic resistant bacteria and, and those sort of things as well. So it really helps to just like pack a really powerful punch. And what I have on the bottle and what I tell people on how to take this is to take it multiple times throughout the first day. As soon as you start feeling any sort of earache, congestion in this area at all. And I think it's you take it about once every 15 minutes for the first hour, once an hour for the first day. And then afterward, you can take it two to three times a day, you know, as needed. But honestly, most people don't need to take it past four or five days tops. And you can definitely feel the main action of it happen within the first two days because it's just, it's a really potent tincture as well. And I have had, and I can't, again, attest to this, but I had a lady actually start giving it to her dog because he was having terrible allergy issues and stuff. And she always messages me about how you know, grateful she is for this tincture. And again, I did not tell her to do that, but she has, you know, giving it to her animals as well. But another great story is a lady came in and she was having really bad migraines. And so she was going to buy a different tincture for migraines as well. But I kind of, you know, anytime anybody comes in with headaches and, and migraines and things like that, I kind of want to know a little bit more about it as opposed to just giving like a general migraine herb or tincture. And so I was like, you know, what, what's the cause? Like, when do you, is there any triggers for this migraine? And she said, anytime she cut the grass, she would just get these terrible migraines just because of allergies or, you know, anything like that. And so I instantly directed her to the, the clear head tincture. That's what I call it, but it's the ground ivy tincture. And Yes. Like ever since then, she just takes it before she starts cutting the grass and doesn't have any issues with that at all. And that's really helped her. And then also just throughout the winter, for some reason, sinus infections have been really, really just rampant, at least in this area. And so people come in all the time to get that and, and sort of help jumpstart the immune system as well. And so, yeah, that's been that's been just indispensable, at least in my practice as well. And, and for myself, I love it. Well, that's a fantastic formula. And for the listeners, if you want to download your free recipe handout, then you can visit the show notes at herbswithrosaliepodcast.com. Well, since you've shared this tincture formula with us, I'd love to talk about your bitters formulas for a bit, because that's kind of something that you're known for, your wood spell bitters. So I guess my first question, why the fascination with bitters and maybe hear about some of your favorite formulas? Yeah, well, this is another one of those situations where I look back a few years later and have no idea how that sort of came about or why specifically I was sort of drawn to that or called to that sort of path. It kind of just happened when my husband and I were actually on a honeymoon in Durango, Colorado, and I went to an apothecary, Dancing Willow Apothecary, shout out to them. They had a book by Guido Masse called DIY Bitters, and I just became obsessed. I was, you know, immediately drawn into 
how complex and complicated bitter plants are and also how much of an ancestral sort of plants these this sort of group of plants are because you know back when plants and humans first came about and started co-mingling all plants were poisonous all plants were very very bitter and so us humans had to co-evolve with plants so that we could digest those sort of bitter compounds and i believe we developed like 34 bitter taste receptors as opposed to three to four sweet sour umami taste receptors. So this is a very old flavor, very old compound. So I feel like it's, there's just something very grounding and rooting about working with bitter plants. And again, they're so complex. They have, you have sour bitters, you've got pure bitter, you've got salty bitters. You even have like a little bit of sweetness to certain bitters as well. So I thought it was a really cool challenge to sort of try and play with you know, a plant that you ne wouldn't necessarily want to taste or play with and somehow make it interesting, make it sort of appealing for people to start incorporating into their lives. Because again, you know, our modern diets, we've nearly completely eliminated all bitter things. But the fact that we co-evolved with these bitter plants for thousands of years means that there's a reason that we're, you know, we're meant to ingest bitter plants. And of course, you know, we know the the benefits of bitters it helps to jumpstart digestion it's great for the liver to de detoxify the lymphatic system as well and i mean 70 percent of our immune system lives in our gut we've got neurotransmitters in our gut as well so just taking care of the digestive system is completely essential to just general overall wellness and so many people are dealing with gut issues in general and so bitters i feel like should be as essential to a, a wellness routine as probiotics and you know it just seems like those two should go hand in hand as well as prebiotics as well but my bitters blends do contain those prebiotic herbs like dandelion root burdock root as well and so, yeah, I think it's really easy to make a really great tasting tincture or, you know, herbal preparation of like rose or lavender. But I thought it would just be so fun to work with different, you know, those more complex sort of plants as well and see how that works out. But yeah, actually, when I started my business, I only launched four products. I had a salve and three bitters and that was it. And so and kind of really haven't expanded too much from then just as you know, they're just so great. I love them. And one of my favorite ones actually is my Baba Yaga bitters. That's one of the first ones that I launched. And actually, one of the ways that I sort of come up with formulations is not only sort of that scientific approach, but also from folklore. I get a lot of inspiration from stories and mythology and my own roots as well. And so I was just really fascinated by this sort of crone, this hag, this really sort of fierce woman who could be really sort of volatile and, you know, eat children, but also sort of guide travelers as well. And so I was like, how cool would it be to sort of take her bitterness and sort of encompass that in sort of those bitter herbs, but also her wisdom, her sort of guidance into so, sort of more of those grandmother-like herbs like rosemary, sage, tulsi. And of mm -hmm. course, scientifically, we know that, or medicinally, we know that sage and rosemary are great for memory and focus and all of those sort of things. So I feel like those more aromatic plants in the blend really help to channel her sort of wise grandmother wisdom as well. So I just find it really fun to play with sort of the creative side, the, the folklore, and then also sort of more of the medicinal, traditional, scientific approach to blends as well. And so, yeah, I get a little obsessed with, with making these sort of things as well, if you can't tell. But yeah, I think 
it, bitters also are just becoming more and more known, more and more popular nowadays as well. Bitters were used to be an essential sort of household item in most homes before, you know, modern medicine sort of came about as well before prohibition. Prohibition really sort of cut out bitters in general, whether it was medicinal or for the cocktail scene as well. But so I'm trying to like encompass that sort of bitter renaissance. I I had mm -hmm. a store told me once that bitters just don't sell. Like it's just, it's not going to work, but you know, here I am four years later and it's working. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's been a great journey. I really love what you shared about your formulation techniques and just your connection to your ancestral lineage and playing with that creativity. Because when you talk about that, it really, to me, that is medicine. You know, you're on, you're not just like, oh, I'm going to take a bunch of stuff and throw them in a formula together. There's so much thought that goes into it and intention. And it's a really beautiful sharing. And I love, I think Val, something that I've just been loving about you for a long time now is your kind of combination of your connection to your ancestral lineage and also that through line of the connection to the plants that grow around you as well. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And like I said, it's it's more of like an obsession sort of thing to where I, I want to like scrutinize every little decision that I put into, you know, making these blends. And also, you know, I, I found through working with all the plants, it's like the more I can, you know, get down to the core plants that I need to use in a blend, the more powerful the blend too, like the upper respiratory tincture with the three herbs. And then like with the bitter blends, I have a very like specific sort of roadmap for how I formulate the blends. I sort of start with those really bitter, very potent bitters. And then you add on some of the more prebiotics, sort of mild bitters as well. And then sort of any complementary aromatic bitters to sort of stimulate and warm the gut. Cause I feel like a lot of bitter herbs are cooling and drying. So you kind of want to balance that with some pungency and then the aromatics as well. And then of course, weaving in the story, like I'm, I look at it from as many different perspectives as I can as well. And I think, especially as you're starting out in herbalism, sort of the tendency is to throw like every single herb that you can at a, at a tincture and try and see where it goes and just expect that it's going to work. But I think over the years, I've really been able to sort of, or at least try to finesse a little more and try and remove instead of just adding in, see like, see what I can remove. Because I feel like when you get down to that core essence, that core group of plants, that that's really what makes a blend really powerful too. No. Mm, oh. But I love all of that sharing, Val. I too am obsessed with bitters and yeah. and Guido. <laughs> yes, so, yes. That Huge is a fantastic book. Yeah. So I appreciate all of that. Yeah. I would not be doing what I'm doing if it wasn't for him and all the work that he's put into just, you know, the bitter sort of studies and all of that that goes into it. He's got many books on, or at least a few books on bitters and he teaches about it. And yeah, highly recommend checking out their, their bitters too, because amazing. Yeah. Well, another thing that I wanted to highlight is your YouTube channel, which I know you don't have a ton of videos on there, but I just listened to your interview with Nathan Wright, who I hope to have on the podcast one day, but that interview, I loved it. And I also wanted to highlight one of the favorite things I've received from you, which is that video of your garden in the springtime. That was a really cool video of showing your Michigan garden. And I'm assuming you used a drone to mm -hmm. do some of that. It was just really well done. I mean, the whole time I was watching, it was just such a cool thing. I think as someone who loves garden and love my own garden, it's so cool to get a garden tour, especially, you know, on the lands that look so different than mine. Yeah, so. thank you so much. I the, definitely had a drone. My husband flies the drone. I don't even want to like 
go there. But I, I do get kind of obsessive about that stuff too, because the creative side of me still, you know, gets rain when I'm creating content or doing labels or website stuff or whatever. So I appreciate that. I, I don't really do a whole lot on my YouTube, but I, you know, it's always a goal to do more. So mm-hmm. I, I, it's good to know that you enjoyed that. Oh, I did. Absolutely. And it was not to put you on the spot, but that was an early spring video. And you might've mentioned that you would do another one at a different time of the year. So oh, you could just, yeah. you know, add that to your list. Right. <laughs> I'm exactly. on the edge of my seat, Val. I'm waiting. Yes. <laughs> I know. Well, we're actually, and that's just like a small part of the garden too. I've actually been working, I feel like for the past three years on a one acre space in front of our house. That's sort of a mixture of trees and open area. The, the only issue is that we have a huge So we live in the forest, but we also kind of live in a swamp, which makes it very Mm. difficult. So it's very low land. So we have a huge depression in that space. So I really want to try and excavate that to make it sort of an irrigation slash drainage pond to hopefully help concentrate the water in that area. That way I can, you know, grow more herbs around there. So I will keep that in mind. I definitely, (laughs) you know, I, I, I would love, I would love to do more video content and things like that because I do feel like it's kind of lacking in the YouTube space, just, you know, for herbal content in general. But yeah, and I love gardens too. Like I think besides formulation, I think growing the plants is by far like my favorite, favorite thing to do in this sort of realm. Hmm. Well, I love all the ways that you express your creativity through the plant world. And I know this year you came out with something that's really cool. So if you want to take the segue into Lunica, I would love to hear about that. Thank you so much. Yeah, this was one of the most creative and also exhausting projects I've ever done. I did not know what I was getting into, but it was so fun. It was so creative. It was kind of like just my mind, just, you know, all of it onto Hmm. the page. Basically, the Lunica Planner is a yearly planner that's land-based and it's based on the the seasons. Yes, there it is right there if you're, (laughs) you know, watching on YouTube or wherever you post this. But yeah, and so I thought that there was a lot of really great astrology planners out there, but I'm not, I know the basics of astrology. It's not something that I sort of, you know, follow fully, but I really wanted a land-based planner that help you sort of live in the moment, live in the season in sort of quick, digestible ways. So I wanted to include seasonal recipes. I wanted to include plant profiles. I wanted to include places for you to journal and garden planning and all of those things, but also leave room for your modern day tasks as well, because we live in the modern life. I know I can't function without, you know, writing down all my my tasks and everything I need to do for the day. So I thought it was, you know, really important to just combine all the things and put them all in one place, just personally, maybe selfishly, just to have all the things that I love in one area and to keep my mind organized as well. (laughs) One thing that I also wanted to sort of explore with this planner was gardening by the moon, which I'm fascinated by. I've delved into over the past few years and I've found it a really sort of powerful way and useful way to garden as well. Not only does it, you know, produce more resilient and potent plants, in my opinion, from just my experiments, but also it just gives you that sort of ancestral connection to your roots, to the plants, to the earth as well, because, you know, all of our ancestors used to garden by the moon. The first documented report of using astrology was for agriculture. So I think sort of diving into those little aspects of our lineage can really help us connect 
to, to ourselves and to the earth as well. So I make it super easy for people. I have an overview of how to moon garden, but then on each day, I also write down what the best task is for that day in case you don't want to do all the calculations and, and things like that. And of course have all the moon phases and, and all of that. So yeah, I'm already dreaming about next year's planner as well. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm really excited about it. It was a really fun, fun project. Yeah, I picked it up. Actually, was especially interested for the moon gardening. I'll be honest. For me, I'm just lucky to get what I get done when I get done, when I do get it done. But I'm definitely intrigued more and more. And just, it's also been kind of just a mental process of just thinking, well, how can I rearrange my life to prioritize mm -hmm. gardening by the moon instead of you know, the other way around, like fitting it in when I can. So that's a process I'm still working on. I'm not there yet, but I thought, well, this will be fun. And yeah, I love, I love the planner so much. And this episode is posting in February. So this is, you know, pick it up right away to get your copy. And I was also an interesting thing years ago, Rosemary Gladstar, I was at a talk of hers and, and she said, I'll just have to paraphrase this, but she said, you know, there's been times in my life where I thought, I'm just so smart. I just came up with this thing, et cetera, et cetera. And then I go to a conference and like all the other herbalists are thinking about the same thing. <laughs> and she realizes it's just part of, you know, the herbal consciousness. And even my, my interview with Guido last year, speaking of Guido, he also talked about this of like kind of our, our consciousness. So with that in mind, this year I'm teaching a seasonal celebrations class as part of Rooted Medicine Circle, but it's so much in line with the mm -hmm. things that you have in here because it's land-based. And that's, yes. I really love that about this planner is the land-based connection, self-reflection and finding what it means to have celebrations for you. What does that mean? So anyway, I love the planner. I love that you did it. I can tell so much work went into it, not just the writing of it and the dreaming up of it, but even just the creating of it. Did you, I'm guessing you used your digital background for this, but you self-published it. And I mean, just to lay it out and have it all, you know, work. Just that, yes. that process is just really fascinating to me. And I know that it takes a lot of work. Yes, right. absolutely. Well, that's, and that was one of the things I love so much about it is being able to incorporate all of those different parts of me, you know, my design background, I spent a few years just doing layouts and layouts and sort of those technical design fields, as well as, you know, working with the digital art side for the cover and, you know, the little drawings inside too. So it was really just a combination of, of me into that sort of process. So it was really it was really fulfilling as well. And mm. kind of going back to what you were saying about, you know, fitting gardening by the moon into your daily life. I totally 100% relate to that. And that's why I wanted to do this planner too, is because, you know, and I've sort of delved into different just methods of gardening by the moon, like biodynamics. And there's some like astrological sort of methods. Everybody has a different way of gardening by the moon, basically. But I found biodynamics to be completely overwhelming. There was just too much going on. And, you know, for some people, it works out really well. But I just wanted something that was really simple, really connected to my ancestry, to the moon, to things that work as well. And that's why I wanted to put down exactly what task that you should focus on for each day to hopefully make it a little easier for people to be like, OK, instead of trying to run around and do all of these things in the garden, instead, I'm going to focus on this one test on this day because this is going to be the most beneficial for my garden at this time. And what I love too about gardening by the moon is that there are certain days that we're required to rest, you know, on days where of the, the new moon or uh, on the quarter moon, some people will say to rest on the full moon. Some people do like to harvest on the full moon. So you can 
do either or. So I think it's really important too to have that permission to be able to rest and just celebrate and enjoy the garden as well. So that's what I love about gardening by the moon too, is it really gives you sort of a roadmap for how to navigate that. And of course, you know, nobody's perfect. Like there's plenty of times where you you just got to do what you got to do. But I thought it was just an interesting way to sort of give you some little breadcrumbs, like a few steps to sort of start going in that direction. So yeah, that was kind of my goal at least. Mm. Well, I'm super excited. It's just well, well done, beautifully done. And I'm excited that you're already thinking about next year too. Yes, yes. And it was super fun too, because I actually, like you said, I, it was self-published. So I had a, a friend of mine who I actually used to work with. She now owns her own print shop and she's <sighs> local. So I was able to do all of the planners through her and, you know, support her business as well. So I wanted everything to just be really local, really grassroots as well. So that was so fun to be able to work with her and, you know, support her business as well. Mm, that's wonderful. And for everyone interested in Lunica, interested in Val's Bitters, and also your newsletter, you can sign up at woodspells.com. I have been on your newsletter for quite a while now, and I love it. You just recently sent out something about going out to the pines and harvesting resins. Just such beautiful writing and always that land-based connection to the living world around you and just permeates everything you do. So I highly recommend the newsletter as well. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, I definitely feel like I'm being called more towards the newsletter. I feel like lately social media has just been kind of exhausting. I still will 100% always be there, but I feel like I put more of my effort lately into the newsletter and I'm trying to get it to a a weekly newsletter as opposed to like a monthly newsletter, but I'm getting there. (laughs) Mm, I look forward to that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Val, that leads us to our last question, which I'm asking everyone in season seven. And that question is, what advice do you have for people who are just starting out on their herbal path? Yeah, absolutely. I want to say that I completely relate to how overwhelming that can be. But I just I think the best advice is to remember that the world needs whatever medicine that you have to offer that you're being called Mm -hmm. to make, because this can be a challenging field to work or or make a living in. I completely understand that, but it is one of the most rewarding things to be able to do. And whatever you're called to, whether it be to make products, to do consultations or teach classes, or how many of the many, many ways that come about from working with plants, it's so needed because there is someone who is either you know, healing or benefiting from your medicine or who will in the future benefit from your medicine. So when times get hard, I just want you to remember that the world needs what you have to offer and just keep going because we need more healers here. I think one of my teachers once said that her dream was to have an herbalist in every county. And I thought that was just like, so like I got shivers. I was like, Mm. like, that's the dream right there is to have people, you know, on the ground who are able to spread you know, this sort of really accessible medicine to people. So it's so, so needed. And also just follow your curiosity. Like there's a reason why certain things are calling to you. That's not chance. That's not, you know, some random fleeting thing. There's a reason why you're called to a certain path. So just follow it. And I know it can be overwhelming with, you know, trying to remember the details, the actions, the constituents. I've been there. I still get there. But just remembering to go back to sort of that curious sort of intuition that we all have is so powerful. And it really just keeps you going and keeps you excited about it. And also, I think intuition is kind of one of those things that we've completely just 
forgot about and, you know, thought science and all of that is just, it's the law and like that, nothing else, but sort of tapping back into that intuitive, curious, playful side, I feel like is how you can succeed in sort of this field at least. Mm. That's a beautiful sharing, Val. I can see how it really just comes from your direct experience. Like you've shared your unique way of being an herbalist, how your curiosity has sparked your path along the way and and all of it. So that's very well said. And it's great to hear advice that just we just heard how that manifested for your whole path. So it's mm -hmm. wonderful. Yeah, ab absolutely. And it, it, sometimes it doesn't make sense. Like I said, I have no idea why I just resonated and sort of went towards bitters, but this is, you know, this is what I'm doing now. So sometimes you just gotta, you gotta trust that gut feeling. Like there's a reason. So true. Well, thank you so much, Val, for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to meet you and have this conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is great. For the listeners, don't forget to head over to herbswithrosaliepodcast.com to get free access to Val's recipe for an upper respiratory tincture. Also available are the complete show notes, including the transcript. You can find Val online, including her website, woodspells.com. See the show notes for handy links to all her websites and social media. I deeply believe that this world needs more herbalists and plant-centered folks I'm so glad that you're here as part of this herbal community. Have a beautiful day. Hey, thanks again for spending your valuable time with me today. I hope you found today's episode helpful. And if you're a new listener, thanks for checking out the show. And don't forget that you can find all the recipes, links, and show notes over at herbswithrosaliepodcast.com. While you're there, you can subscribe and get updates when new episodes release and even submit your requests for future podcast episodes. The world needs more people who are connected to the earth and the healing gifts of plants. I'm so glad that you're here for this adventure. Thanks for listening. Thank you to Rising Appalachia for the use of their beautiful song, Resilience. Listen to more from Rising Appalachia at risingappalachia.com.